Well, good morning. I, uh, I don't know, I just feel very emotional this morning, but uh, a family I've been ministering to for a while now, uh, a lady that was, if she's the same age as I am, that, uh, you know, was, has been on hospice for a while, and then she, uh, she fell out of her bed this week, and I pulled my back out trying to get her back in the bed and everything, and so I just found out this morning that she went to be with the Lord. Oh, so the thing is, I've been thinking about like I'm going to have this job and this is going to happen all the time. So um, uh, this is, uh, but most important thing, yeah. For those that don't know, uh, Todd is the uh, West as a West Virginia University Ruby whatever the chaplain uh, over hospice, all the hospice. So he's going through. There's like a rotation of about 80 different people. Yeah. There's some, those that die every week and every month and those that come in. And sometimes the heart, especially in this situation, yeah. I tell you, there was one family that came and said, would you pray? And he, he prayed and the glory of God came in the room and the person knew the Lord and left right then. Sometimes you have these glorious moments. Yeah. Many times they just don't know the Lord. There's opportunities to bring them to Jesus. But is this lady yeah, was your age, yeah. so this is powerful, you know. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify so they know what's going on here. And this family, uh, they were tongue talkers because this is Pentecost Sunday, so I thought that maybe came into play. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've been kind of praying about all week what to share, and this would be a little different. But I wanted to try to bring a greater revelation of what Pentecost means, what Pentecost Sunday means. And uh, kind of to start out by talking about that it's Yahweh's feast, that Pentecost is one of the seven feasts, and it's the feast of Yahweh. A lot of times when you use the word Yahweh, uh, Yahweh, they have no uh, vowels in, in, the, in the Hebrew language. I only had one year of Hebrew, so not an expert, but uh, it's the same word. We use the word Jehovah. Jehovah is the Latin word uh, for Yahweh. And so when Yahweh established the, the people of God, the people, the word Yahweh actually means a covenant keeping God. It actually, the definition of that word means that God keeps covenant with us. And he gave the picture of that that was foundationally built among the Jewish people, among the, the people of Israel. And so one of the things that is it's so detrimental is when there's a mentality or if you would let me even use a false doctrine that would come into the church that would have the mindset that the church replaced Israel. None of you probably care. It's a theology called replacement theology. And instead of understanding that if you look at what the Word of God says, we were grafted in to Israel. We were, we, we were uh, Romans 11 says, we were the wild olive tree, and we were grafted into the olive tree. And the true picture of Israel is not the star of David, but it, it is the olive tree. 
Romans 11 verse 25 says, For I do not consider, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, mystery, least you should be wise in your own opinion. That's where pride comes in. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And it's one of the things I love to teach on is what is the fullness of the Gentiles? That's a big thing. I'm not going to even try to open that can of worms. So, but that there's going to come a time that it started with Israel. There was a, it kind of, in some ways, the new covenant brought it to the Gentiles, but it's going to come full circle back to Israel. And according to Romans chapter 11, there, there's going to come a revelation among the Jewish people that Jesus is Messiah. And, and that's the whole wrap-up of, of, and then, you know, then we go on into the millennial reign of Jesus, and we say, come quickly, Lord. You know, I feel like, isn't it Lot? He says, you know, that he was vexed, you know, by, the ever, that's the old King James word. Is it, was it Lot that was vexed? I think vexed. <laughs> it means like he was in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah in, in that area, and the whole culture was vexing him. How many ever felt vexed by the culture that we live in? So, one of the things I was thinking about in Romans 11, verse 18, it says, remember, it is not you who support the root. We don't have time. This would be a six-part class. But the root is Israel. But the root that supports you. And I, I feel like we, we forget that so often. And so let me just real briefly mention this to lead into talking about Pentecost. I, I believe that there has to come a rediscovery among especially the uh, Protestant church in America of our, of our Hebrew roots. Now, when I say that term, almost no one in the room is even going to know what I'm saying here, but I want to interject this just to make, there, there is a movement that is happening in America, which is called the Hebrew roots movement. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that specific movement because that movement has some dangerous things in it. So I'm not talking about going back under the law. I'm not talking about that, you, you know, that you're going to come. How many don't want to go back under the old covenant? I, I don't want that. I want to stay in the new covenant. But I understand that the revelation of everything that God did in building the foundation of covenant relationship with people began with Israel. And so just kind of think, uh, trekking with this, the early church and the apostles were mostly Jewish. The Old Testament, which is God's covenant with Israel, is foundational to understanding the New Testament. Understanding our Hebrew roots is essential in interpreting the scripture. The revelation of the seven feasts is crucial in understanding your faith in Yeshua, past, present, and future. Some of you may have heard of a book called Angels on Assignment, and it was a pastor actually that is going on to be with the Lord that was in Idaho, and God was having a great move of God there, and he had an angelic visitation. If you don't believe in that, that's okay. But he had an angelic visitation, and one of the main things that when I read the book, uh, Angels on Assignment, is that the angels uh, specifically told him, find the revelation of Jesus in the seven feasts. And what was so amazing about that is 
he wasn't thinking that. He's not, it wasn't on his mind. It was just like something that came directly from the Lord. And he began to study the feast and understand how the picture of the relationship of covenant that Jesus has with us. Okay, we are going to go somewhere. I just need to lay this foundation. So God did not end or destroy his covenant with Jewish people, but grafted us in. And so it's understanding the Hebrew roots. Now, my, my wife and I actually, well, we celebrated just the week before last when we were going 31 years that we've been married. And in 30, that pretty much all in ministry. We got married when we were in Bible school and, and such. And, and my wife will be the first one to tell you that when God starts speaking something strongly to me, as he did in a season uh, with Israel and in, in, in getting back to Hebrew roots, I am one of those ones that has, I don't know, none of you ever like this, but when God tells you something, you maybe take it a little too far. Because <laughs> she was going like, I would have my prayer shawl on me when I'm preaching the whole thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but there can be a tendency to take things a little too far. In our last church, we had a messianic congregation that was also foursquare that you know, used, we had the same building together. You know, there, there was a reason that could happen because theirs was on Saturdays and ours was on Sunday. And so, but the Lord did so much in bringing revelation and understanding as I began to study the feast and, and began to teach on that. There was a statement that, that uh, was on the screen, Dr. Michael Brown, some of you know who that is, that made, he said, misunderstood the, uh, theological roots has led to the persecution of the Jewish people throughout the ages from the first Christian attacks on Jewish people to the Holocaust, from Israel bashing in today's press to surprising and anti-Semitic uh, anti-Semitism in today's pulpits. And kind of so we can kind of change gears here. Many in the church today do not understand their rich heritage of faith. Replacement theology, which assumes Israel plays no significant role in the body of Christ, has caused a division between the church and Israel. For the church, this has created a separation from blessings and she uh, that she was intended to walk in. Many of these blessings are expressed and observed and released during the feast of the Lord. So it's found in other places, but in Exodus chapter 23, it says there are three times a year, and I won't read all this, but there's three times of year that there's feast among Israel. God gave them this specific instruction, and he said, these are the feasts you're to keep, and these are to represent and bring a, a remembrance and a revelation of covenant relationship that I have with you. And he said, you'll do them always. You don't have to agree with this. I actually believe during the millennial reign of Christ on the thousand years that we will be celebrating these feasts every year. I believe that with all my heart. Um, and one, one of the things that happened to me that wrecked me is I did a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book, the book of Zechariah and did a class for 12 weeks and taught the book of Zechariah. And you find that, the, that biblically, Jerusalem is the center of the world. That's the only way I know how to come out of that book when I read it. Jerusalem is the center of the world. I actually do believe that probably Garden of Eden was there, that uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham, you know, when he went up on the mount, you know, when the ram was caught in the thicket, and I, I believe that was there, that that's where Jesus did um, a big portion of his ministry, and that's where he died, that's where he was buried, that's where he arose, that's where he ascended, and the Bible says very clear that that's where he's coming back. 
So that's a big deal to me. I mean, you can throw out Israel and Jerusalem if you want, but it keeps on surmounting. You read the book. And so in this this covenant that God begins to have with with the nation of Israel, he said there's seven feasts, but he calls them three because there's the spring feast, the summer feast, and then the fall feast. And let me just real quickly show you that God then tells him, if you keep these feasts and you come into remembrance of the covenant that I have with you, this is going to be the result. There's going to be rain in due season, a good harvest of grain, a good harvest of fruit. Animals will be strong and healthy. Season of rest and refreshing. Season of fellowship with others. Good outcome from, for the coming year. Angel uh, would go before you to defeat your enemies. God would rebuke the drought, famines, and devour. There will be plenty of wine and the uh, grapes. There will be plenty of olives and you'll be filled with joy. How many would like to have all that stuff. <laughs> so, so, so that's why I feel like that it's important to keep the feast and to understand it. Now, to what degree we can argue that? This is just, I'm going to give you two minutes of my opinion. I believe that one of the things that the Catholic Church did was transpose a lot of what we considered traditions of Christianity that are not foundational in the Hebrew understanding of Israel. Meaning, don't, don't shoot me, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. There's not any way he was, okay? Don't shoot me. Don't throw nothing at me. I, 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 I you know, you can have the Christmas tree. I'm going to mom's on Christmas day. I, I, I'm fine with all that. But you have to understand that sometimes a lot of what we consider traditions, and we feel like that we as Protestants, I know there might be a Catholic in the room. I love you. Yeah, I'm not trying to be mean or anything. But as Protestants, that there's a lot of things that we still carried over with us when we broke away and we still hold today. This is personal opinion. Throw it out the window if you want. I believe God is awakening us to our roots of of where we came from and understanding the church, how it began, and understand that a lot of the traditions that we brought into Christianity are not founded on Scripture, and they're not founded on where we came from. Okay? Just my opinion. Now, let me show you these, uh, these three separate feast times. First of all, the spring feast. That's Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the, and the first fruits. We, and, and then the early summer feast, this is early summer feast that we're right now, it's called the Feast of Weeks. And a lot of times when you hear the word Pentecost, people say to me, they'll say, well, you're, uh, I'm scared of Pentecost. Well, I say, well, you're scared of a number. And they say, what? You're, sca- you're scared of a number because the word Pentecost means 50. And so there's no reason to be scared of numbers, you know. So, so the Feast of Weeks means seven times seven. And seven times seven is 49 plus one. So the day after is when you celebrate the Feast of Weeks, Shabbat or Pentecost. And this is the picture because it was on Passover that we see the picture of Jesus died. He poured out his blood. This is the celebration of the feast. The, the picture we find in Jesus, he poured out his blood. The Passover, the, the blood of the lamb, you know, he passes over us. Then the unleavened bread, we see the picture of, of Yeshua, of Jesus' burial. He was buried. He was actually dead, undeniable. 
But then we see the picture of the first fruits, and that is the resurrection, that he is the first fruit from the dead because he went first so that we now can follow after him, that we also can be raised from the dead. And this is that picture of, of what Jesus did in his first coming. Then we have three on the front end, which is Passover unleavened and first fruits, one in the middle that we're going to talk about, which is today, and then we got three at the end, which is the fall feast, which is Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And so what you have to understand, when Jesus came the first time, he fulfilled everything for the spring feast. And then when the day of Pentecost came, I'm getting ahead of myself, but on the day of Pentecost, he poured out the Holy Spirit and he fulfilled everything for, for the feast of weeks, for, uh, for Pentecost. But now we're in that same season in the last days, walking under the power of the Holy Spirit, but we know it's not over yet because there's coming some fall feasts. And Jesus, when he comes back the second time, he's going to fulfill all of them. First, there's going to be a trumpet sound that's the gathering of the saints. Then there's going to be the, the day of atonement, which is the, the wrath of God. I'm sorry. And then there's going to be the feast of tabernacles where the Lord's going to come and tabernacle with us because the, the, you know, the new Jerusalem's coming down out of the sky. And for a thousand years, he's going to tabernacle with us, and forever we will be with the Lord. So we're, we're in that in-between time, which is Pentecost. That's what we're living in today. And so Leviticus chapter 23 is called the Feast of Weeks. Seven days, or seven times seven is 49, seven a, a week is a week of weeks. Remember Jesus, he died, he rose on the, uh, he died, he was buried, he rose on the, the, on first fruits. And then for 40 days, Acts chapter 1 says Jesus was teaching about things of the kingdom of God. Then he ascended, went to heaven. And then for 10 days, they went to the upper room and they tarried and waited there. I, I can't help, I've learned so many things in the old King James, it comes out. But they tarried, you know, there. They waited there and, and they were seeking the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we realize is that the day of Pentecost, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, it's 50 days from the resurrection, it's 10 days since he ascended back to heaven, when it, the day of Pentecost had fully come, you have to understand, in Jerusalem, they were in the upper room seeking God, and out in the, you know, in the city, the Jewish people were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, Shabbat. They were celebrating that. And all of a sudden, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon those in the upper room, the 120. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, the sound of a mighty rushing wind comes in, and it says fire lit upon each of them. And they begin to speak in an unknown tongue, and it says all of those people that were around in the city began to hear, and Peter comes out and says, we're not drunk like you suppose, like you thinking. He said, but this is that which the prophet Joel said, that in the last days there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters of prophesy, seeing dreams and seeing visions, and on, on all flesh he will pour out his Spirit. He's saying this is that. And see, what, what you have to understand, folks, is that same thing that happened that day, we are still in that time. 
When does the feast of Pentecost end? It ends, uh, in one way, it ends when Jesus comes back and takes us into the fall feast. And so, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Pastor was just singing a little bit ago about the Trinity, the triune God. You know, I love when people try to explain the Godhead. The Bible talks about the God. You know, and, and then people say, you guys are really polyethic. You know, you, you worship three gods. And, and because you try to wrap this brain around understanding the Trinity. I remember in children's church when I was a little kid, they'd take the egg and they'd crack the egg open. This is the Holy Spirit is the shell and the white. That's the, and then you know, the Father is the yoke and three makes one. And I'm going like, ah. I don't know. That doesn't really cut it. That don't cut it for me. <laughs> Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Anyway, so, but the, the understanding that we even see from the very beginning in Genesis uh, chapter 1, it said, let us make man in our own image. That, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. We see that the Godhead was even involved from the very beginning of creation. It's beyond our comprehension and understanding. But there is such a triunity of this. That's where we you get that word, that tri, three, unity, triunity, tr the trinity that comes together. And we, we see the picture of, of Jesus saying that the promise of the Father is going to come to you, the Holy Spirit, and it's beneficial, it's profitable, because I can only be one place at one time. You're gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to be in every one of you. And, and so there was the picture of that. They didn't know what it meant. And a lot of people think, you know, because Pentecostals, all they want to focus on sometimes is praying in tongues, which... I love praying in tongues. But I, I want you to understand that one of the reasons they understood that there was so much joy on the day of Pentecost, on this day, as the Holy Spirit was being poured out, is because they knew at that moment that Jesus had made it back to the Father. Because he said, when I get back to the Father, and I sat down at the right end of the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come back to you. And they're going, Jesus is there! He's at the throne! He's there! The promise came from the Father because Jesus said he was going to send it back when he got there. And so they were excited about that. So anyway, uh, let me just show you this picture that uh, we see. One of the traditions among the Jewish people is that Mount Sinai, where, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, is, it happened 50 days after that they crossed the Exodus, uh, from the Exodus, crossed, you know, the Red Sea. Most of you know that Passover and unleavened, you know, was the picture of what Jesus, uh, what God accomplished in, in Israel. You remember when the death angel came, the blood that was over the blood post of the, of the ch children of Israel, that now God had led them out, and they crossed the Red Sea, and they go into the desert. And, and, and 50 days later, they come to Mount Sinai, and what does God do? God gives them the law. And you see this picture that it literally is like the picture of fire coming from heaven and writing on you know, tablets of stone the Ten Commandments that God gives as a part of the covenant with his people. But in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit's being poured out, it is the Holy Spirit by fire that's writing those things now upon your heart. Not upon stone anymore, but upon flesh, upon your heart. And so, in the first Pentecost, God gave the law. And in the second Pentecost, God gave the Holy Spirit. On Mount Sinai, God's presence was accompanied by fire, smoke, and the sound of thunder. God's presence during Pentecost was accomplished, uh, accompanied by the sound of wind, tongues of fire, and the gift of different languages. When God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, 
the people were worshiping the golden calf and about 3,000 people died as a punishment for their sins. But when the spirit was given on the day of uh, feast of Pentecost, the people repented and about 3,000 people believed and found spiritual life. How I many know? I, I like the new one better. How I many? <laughs> God's presence uh, was sim symbolized by a cloud and fire which led the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Later, God moved his presence into the temple. During Pentecost, God's presence moved from the temple into a new temple, the followers of Jesus. No longer was the, the presence within the temple in Jerusalem. The veil was writ, and then out comes the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit lives in us. Are you not the temple of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Finally, the Torah provided God's teaching for the Old Covenant uh, community of people. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began to be the teacher for new believers. You, you, and you understand when I say this in context that Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're not going to need a teacher. You're not going to need a God, but the Holy Spirit's going to teach you and, and guide you. And you know that doesn't mean there's not teachers in the, in the church, but ultimately we're accountable to the teacher that lives inside of every one of us, which how many know is God. And then Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled, and Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed in the sky like smoke from a, a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently at the blast of the ram's horn. It grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the mount, on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. The church, look in Acts chapter 9 verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, which is where we're going in, in our next season. And with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Then you will receive the gift. The gift, how many know it says the Father gives good gifts? And a lot of things, you know, when people read that, yeah, what, new cars, money. No, the gift you get is Holy Spirit. That's like way better, right? This promise is to you. <laughs> Woo! It's to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. <laughs> we won't do that. Strongly, strongly urging all these listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I want you to understand that what there, there was a picture. We, we sometimes don't go back in the mindset. The people on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish people, they were celebrating what happened at Mount Sinai. They were celebrating Shabbat. And it was on that day that, that God says that same picture you've seen there that was establishing the old covenant. I'm coming by my spirit in this day, and 
and I'm pouring it out on you to establish the new covenant. And the new covenant is what we're living in. We are living in the Feast of Pentecost. We are in the last days. The Holy Spirit is inside of every one of us. And we shouldn't be backing away or, you know, just giving up or saying, oh, the world's so, you know, so rough right now and so wicked, whatever. Even Peter say, said, save yourself from this crooked generation. It is time right now, like never before, that we enact the very power that was given to us as the church. And when we understand the Feast of Pentecost, it's something we should be walking in right now today. Amen?